You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, dear friends. Great to have you with us today. I mean, really great to have you with us today. Remember now, the place for a man, for a woman, completing all their powers is in the spiritual fight. And right now, today, making disciples of the nations. So stay tuned. Stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, folks. Very, very good to have you with us. I'm uh, I'm excited about uh, being on the program today and got some things I want to share that I hope will be uh, beneficial to you. Uh, what we have done as far as formatting here is just saying, let's, let's throw a couple issues out, then let's get to the big issue for the day. And um, usually we do a couple news items. Today, not so much. I was, I was putting together a newsletter for my church today, my local church, and always got to find a couple interesting things to say there. And interesting enough, I just got off of a discipleship meeting. It's, it's a discipleship meeting by phone, but nonetheless, a discipleship meeting with one of the leaders in uh, our denomination. And he said something that kind of rocked my world. Uh, as we were talking back and forth about a, a couple of interesting issues, he says, you know, uh, routine can make us hard of hearing. Now think about that. Routine can make us hard of hearing. You know, it really can. We get into a rut, get into a routine, and all of a sudden we're not really listening. We're not really paying attention. We're just in the rut. We're just in the routine. Now, the routine shouldn't make us hard of hearing, but if we're not all the way aware of what God wants to do in our regular comings and goings, routine can, I think, in fact, make us insensitive to the movements of his spirit. Now, this is what I believe. I think God teaches something profound through rituals, through regularly doing things. It's one of the things I teach in a class called Discipleship in the Home. Get some good rituals going in your family. Christmas rituals, Easter rituals, Pentecost rituals. Get some good daily rituals. Uh, it ought to be ritualistic for you to go to church every Sunday. I mean, there's ought to be some things you're just regularly doing. And those things do indeed and in fact change our lives. But you can get in a rut with those things. And you always got to figure out, do I need to change my routine or do I need to change my hearing aid, proverbial hearing aid, within the routine I'm in so I can better listen to the Lord? So I don't know. Maybe your routine needs shaken up this week. Or maybe you need to be more aware of what Jesus wants to do within your routine. Or maybe both. Just talk to God about it. See where he wants you on these kinds of things. Now, there is an author named Peter Kraft. Don't know if you've ever heard of him. You probably need to read some things by Peter Kraft. It's some typically really good stuff. And uh, one of the things that I have believed about uh, routine is everybody ought to have a routine prayer life. And everybody ought to be getting in regularly. But again, even with a regular routine prayer life, you can get a hard of hearing within that routine. Nonetheless, everybody needs a daily time with the Lord. And I try to get like an hour and 15, hour and a half or so, really putting myself in a listening posture. I have about 10 things that I roll through and do every day. Uh, that, By the way, that's one of the things that the, the, the denominational leader was telling me just a moment ago. 
And that is beware of that, Matt, because you can get a hard of hearing within those 10 things as you're checking them off. And he's right. On the other hand, there's power in those 10 things because I've, I've worked on them for a while. I've got it down to these 10 things are beautiful in my life when I am listening to the Lord through those 10 things. Well, you know, Peter Kraft has written a book called Prayer for Beginners, put out by Ignatius Press. And he says in that book, some say that prayer and the spiritual life or the inner life or the soul's private love affair with God. I love that. You know, what your prayer life ought to be is your soul's private love affair with God. And he says, for a lot of people, that is an unaffordable luxury today or an irresponsible withdrawal from the pressing public problems of our poor, hurting world. Now, we ought to be engaged with the world. And by the way, I believe that you need to be engaged with the world. But if you're doing it without a substantial daily private love affair with God, you're probably putting yourself in a bad position and maybe even the world in a bad position. Yeah. So Peter Crave continues and he says, I just, I, I say just the opposite with all that, that nothing, nothing is more relevant and responsible, that nothing else can ever cure our sick world except saints. And saints are never made except by prayer. Nothing but saints can save our world because the deepest root of all the world's diseases is sin. And saints are the antibodies that fight sin. Nothing but prayer can make saints because nothing but God can make saints. And we meet God in prayer. Prayer is the hospital for souls where we meet Dr. God. <laughs> Isn't that powerful? I mean, there's something strong about Hot, a prayer. Hospital for souls where we meet Dr. God. Also like this, this thing of, hey, you know what prayer is? It's the soul's private love affair with God. And you ought to be having that private love affair every day. So typically I do that the very first thing I do in my morning. And uh, I got to hustle off and do a lot of things. I am uh, mindful that Martin Luther supposedly once said, you know, I've got so much to do today. I, I can't hope to get it all done without three hours of prayer, three hours of prayer. It was uh, Stanley Jones, who was a, a great Indian missionary, says, you know, the best thing that I ever learned in my life was a two hour a day prayer habit. And he learned it back at a place called Asbury College. And while at that college, he felt like he needed to get ready for decades of tough ministry. And it was tough ministry for Stanley Jones. But getting ready for that ministry was learning a two hour a day prayer habit. Now, for myself, I would suggest that uh, that prayer habit needs to be fortified by a Bible reading habit or a Bible study habit, plus uh, making sure that you are applying those things in your life. So it's an obedience thing as well. So prayer plus word plus obedience is powerful. And if you can wake yourself up to those possibilities, what a beautiful thing it is. Real quick here, I want to talk to you about one of our sponsors, and that would be Teleos Press. Lots of really great books at teleospress.com. Now, let me tell you how to spell Teleos. It's T-E-L-E-I-O-S. It's a Greek word for perfect, complete, whole. All right. So Teleos Press, T-E-L-E-I-O-S, teleospress.com. Uh, it's, it's a great website because you get a lot of good books that you can look at there. 
lots of wonderful volumes, including the 5Q Method of Discipleship. That is my newest book. By the way, selling like hotcakes, a lot of people uh, being helped to buy it. But uh, I think if you want to be a serious disciple maker, you really need to check out teleospress.com. Going to be a lot of good things for you there. So I am uh, a bit of news this week, and it's uh, I'm going to turn that bit of news into a bit of a, uh, a talk today on this podcast. George Wood. I don't know if you know that name, but George Wood, former general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, passed away this week at the age of 80 after a short battle with stage four cancer of the esophagus. And he had served as general superintendent in a wonderful way. He was a powerful preacher, had brilliant insights. And the reason that kind of caught my attention is because I had uh, seen uh, with my eyes, I did not hear the sermon, but I'd seen something he had written up from a sermon on God's non-interventions. It was so powerful. I just wanted to share with you today about how God sometimes intervenes and sometimes he doesn't. And when he doesn't intervene, it can be just as powerful as when he does. Now, he starts off, George Wood starts off with his, uh, with a little uh, little miracle that happened to him. So instead of using his miracle, let me use mine. When I was, uh, when I was in sixth grade or so, I uh, had a terrible, terrible pain in my head. Every time I stood up, uh, it was like a like you're putting a knife right through my brain. And uh, I had read a couple decades after that, that that kind of thing had been happening to a lot of kids about that age, and it was killing them. Now, I, I, I think that article was in USA Today or something. I didn't take note of it, didn't, didn't carve it out or anything. I'm just telling you what I remember reading about that. And it, I kind of hearken back to that day when I was in bed on the actually on the couch, and my mom uh, worked across the street, which was a secretary to grade school. So she left me at home, and I was just supposed to lay there until I got better. What I wasn't getting better. I was there for about three or four days, and every single time I stood up, this knife or what felt like a knife went right through my head, and I just thought, "Whoa!" My mom started getting a little bit worried about it, so she called up uh, my dad's best friend. And said, uh, Lauren, will you go over to the house and uh, pray for Matt? Now, that's saying something. I, I got a serious problem here. My mom's worried and she decides to get someone to pray. So that's what happened. She, she, uh, she sent over, she called up Lauren. Lauren came over and uh, he said, what's the problem? And I just told him, well, stand up this knife through the brain thing. And he said, uh-huh. And then he said something that I remember to this day. He says, do you believe Jesus can heal you? You know, nobody had ever talked to me that way before. I'm just a kid. I'm 11 or 12 years of age. And uh, I said, well, yeah, I, I guess Jesus can heal me. So he reached down with his hand, put it on my forehead and prayed a simple but a powerful prayer for healing for me. And uh, I imagine it lasted three or four minutes. And at the end of that prayer, he said, stand up. Now, I didn't want to stand up, but here was this guy that just invested in my life to the tune of a powerful miracle prayer. And I thought, well, all right, I'll stand up. I stood up. And the minute I stood up, I said, hey, it doesn't hurt anymore. And at that point, he said, go get dressed and go to school. <laughs> now, that wasn't as good news as the other thing. I mean, that I didn't hurt anymore was great news that uh, that I had to now go to school 
anyway, so I did. I got all my jeans and, and went on to school and told mom what had happened. She was thrilled. And I'd always remember that. My goodness, God can intervene and he wants to intervene. The problem is when we think that he's going to intervene every time we want him to or every time we think he should. And that's where George Wood comes along and he writes about God's non-interventions. Now, remember, this is right off of a sermon. So I I got this. Uh, and one of the things he did was he used the book of Acts. He said, this is a book of Acts is an excellent text when it talks about things intervention-wise and things non-intervention-wise. He says it's loaded with interventions. First of all, let, let's just talk. When you read the book of Acts, God intervenes. The sending the Spirit on the day of Pentecost or the Cornelius connections where the Holy Spirit links Peter with Cornelius and begins a whole explosion of the Gentile mission. That's intervention and praise God for it. There's Saul's conversion, direct intervention by way of a blinding light and voice from heaven. And George Wood called those catalyzing miracles. These are miracles that led to an expansion of the gospel, God's interventions. But there's a substantive amount of material about God's non-intervention in the book of Acts, too. I mean, the apostles get flogged. The Lord did not turn the whips into spaghetti noodles so they would land softly on the skin. He just didn't do it. He didn't intervene. There's a martyrdom of Stephen. You can read about it in Acts uh, 7 or so. Stephen, God doesn't intervene. Stephen gets stoned. And the subsequent persecution because of that stoning. Then there's the continued vulnerability of the Apostle Paul. For example, right after he's converted, he bears witness in Damascus. A plot on his life develops. How does he get out of town? Does a squadron of angels escort him to the city gates? Nope. He's dumped over the city wall in a basket. There's more non-intervention from God when Paul falls ill on the first missionary journey. He let us says to the Galatians, to whom uh, he had brought the gospel on that journey, he says, you know, it was because I was sick that I first came to you. In other words, my travel plans got rerouted because I was sick. That's why I came to you. There's the non-intervention of God that Paul continually gets kicked out of towns he's witnessing in including his expulsion from Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. I mean, where was God then? By the way, why didn't the rocks turn to marshmallows so they landed harmlessly? Why didn't a plastic bubble come down and protect him so he could smile when they kept throwing these missiles at him? And then there's Paul's beating at Philippi. There's his arrest in Jerusalem, his subsequent two-year imprisonment, shipwreck, snake bite, and two-year house arrest. I mean, writing to the Corinthians in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, he says, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, and just, and by the way, he could he will have said, in troubles where God didn't intervene, in hardships when God didn't intervene, in distresses when God didn't intervene, he continues, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, and hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. I mean, that's just a list of non-intervention. Now, if that's not enough, there's disputes, maybe even politics in the book of Acts. There's the Acts 6 dispute over the neglect of a certain segment of the body of Christ. There's the Acts 15 dispute over, hey, by the way, you got a church right now that's having disputes? Well, you ought to be able to read Acts and say, yeah, I get it. I mean, Acts 15, there's this uh, dispute over doctrine. At the end of Acts 15, there's a dispute between Paul and Barnabas over whether they should take John Mark along on the missionary journey. Paul doesn't want to. 
Paul's had enough of John Mark. I mean, why didn't the Holy Spirit in any one of these three disputes come down and just settle the matter right there? Why doesn't he say, listen, guys, listen, listen. Are you listening? Here's what you should do over the widow problem. Why doesn't he say in regard to the doctrinal dispute, here's what the true gospel is. Why does he let them work this? I mean, what? I mean, there's an unexpected, unexplained death of the Apostle James in Acts 12. Paul's released from prison. What about James? James is put to death with a sword. And finally, the whole plot to assassinate Paul that redirects his travel plans at the end of his third missionary journey. What's going on there? I don't know. Yeah, y'all, the reason this George Wood sermon so impacted me is because I can identify it with it. Can any of you? Can you identify with this? Maybe there's been times in your life when God's intervention would have helped you. But despite prayers, despite miracle prayers and pleas, and despite your faith, he didn't do it. So what's going on here? And George Wood says, I'm just going to list some things for you, and I just want us to listen to the list. He says, first off, maybe he doesn't do it because he preserves human freedom. Yeah, but he preserves human freedom. If we are free, then we're free to do wrong as well as right. And so is the guy next to us. And wrong deeds have consequences. And because they do, the innocent might be impacted. I mean, a, a victim of a drunk driver, for example, that person has been impacted by another's free choice to drink alcohol to the point of inebriation and then get in the car and drive. God did not suspend their choice to do so because he preserves human freedom. And guess what? There are times when the innocent suffer because of that human freedom. In order for us to be free and human, God has to leave us free to do right or wrong. And that includes the person next to us or that person five miles away right now that is getting inebriated and it's about ready to cost somebody big time. The terrible suffering of believers in the book of Acts is always rising out of the evil deeds of others which comes from their freedom to act. So, keep it in mind. God preserves human freedom and praise God for it. By non-intervention, God allows us, says George Wood, to mature. Second reason God may not intervene is to give us the opportunity to develop wisdom and maturity. That's why it doesn't intervene in the disputes and acts. The dispute regarding the care of widows or in Acts 15 or the, 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 the methodology at the end of Acts 15. He wants us to develop maturity and wisdom. Now, that's frustrating. I mean, you, some of you listening right now might have a kind of relationship with the Lord that allows you to go down the aisle of the grocery store and say, Lord, speak to me. What kind of deodorant do you want me to buy? Do I buy a box of Cheerios or do I buy a box of Wheaties? And you know, I don't know, maybe God tells you. I want that kind of deodorant. Uh, buy Wheaties. Don't buy Cheerios. But I think it's more typical for God to say, listen, you, you make that decision. You're an adult now. You, you, you got an adult mind. I'm counting on you to make some intelligent choices. Listen, that's freedom of choice. If we don't have it, we never develop maturity. And God wants to bring you into maturity. By non-intervention, God allows us to show grace. I mean, it's the third reason here that George Wood lists. He says, God may not intervene in certain situations, but by not intervening, people may display in their life the grace of Jesus Christ. 
I love this one. This is very interesting to me. Listen, this is what he says. Our life, and, and I, I, I have, I don't know if you've ever used this illustration on it. You, know, you get a cup of water and you fill it up with water. Have the biggest guy in the front row hold the water. He says, hold it straight out, and you're on front of a in front of a bunch of people right now speaking. You say, okay, whatever you do, don't spill the water. Promise me, don't spill the water. You say, all right, I promise, I won't spill the water. Then you grab his arm and you shake it. The water comes out of the cup, and uh, <laughs> and you ask him, hey, dude, why did you spill the water? He looks at you, kind of incredulously. He says, well, because you shook my arm. I said, well, not really. Water came out of the glass because there was water in the glass. And the old proverb goes, whatever you're filled to the brim with spills out when you're bumped. When something hits you externally, whatever is in you, the cup, spills out. So if you are filled with anger, resentment, rage, bitterness, that's what spills out when you're bumped. But if in you is the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and grace, all these things, when you're hit, when you're bumped, when you're shaken, out of the cup spills Jesus. And that means possible revival, possible movement, possible change as a tough thing happens to you and you spill out with him. By God's non-intervention, says George Wood, God advances the gospel, and I believe that's true. I just think so many really great things can happen if indeed bad things happen and they're allowed to happen. The death of Stephen does this, for instance. I mean, because of Stephen, uh, because of that death, there's Saul of Tarsus over there that's watching the whole thing. And guess what happens? He's brought to faith because of that death. And because of Paul, we have missionary journeys and subsequent church plants. And eventually that whole movement reaches your hometown. Yeah, right here in America, your hometown. You get 13 letters out of the deal that we still read as the Bible. Now, because of Luke, you, 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 excuse me, because of Paul, you get Luke and his gospel account and his historical record of the Lord of the Church, which is Acts. Pretty cool. Out of all that came really great stuff. But that all came out of persecution. The gospel was significantly advanced because God did not intervene. Than this, by non-intervention, says George Wood, God deepens our faith, and I believe it. God may not intervene because he wants to give us the opportunity to have our faith powerfully deepened. One of the instances of this reason for non-intervention, you can read it right there at the book of, uh, in the book of Acts, Acts 4. After the first imprisonment and flogging of the apostles, the prayer the apostles offer after they rejoin the rest of the disciples it starts like this, Sovereign Lord. Now, I love this. Again, George Wood. He's in the Greek text. It's one single word from which we derive the word despot. It means someone who is a totalitarian ruler, a sovereign whose word is unchallengeable. In English, this word often has an evil context, but it's not that way in the Greek text. Despot simply speaks of someone who has total power and total control. Now, whatever it's worth, back then in Acts, their world might have seemed very much out of control. They just had a living daylight to beaten out of them by religious opposition. And they come back to the prayer meeting right there. They get on their knees 
and they're saying sovereign Lord. They understand this great truth and we need to understand it as well. God is in control of history. He's in control of your history specifically. He's in control of my history. He's in control of his people. He's in control of my family. He's in control of his church. He is sovereign Lord. When everything else is going wrong, he is still sovereign Lord. So, if you want to deepen character and a deepen faith, then embrace God's non-intervention and let it deepen your life. Now, the last thing that George Wood says in this great sermon, he says the sixth and final reason for God's non-intervention is one that, if you're going to be honest, is sort of the undetermined reason. And that is, you don't know. That's why you got to have faith. I don't know why God's acting like he's acting. I mean, the death of James, why did that have to happen? That doesn't seem right. Why couldn't have God just have not allowed that? We're not told. We're not told why it happened. We're not told why God didn't intervene. We're not, we're just not told in Acts 12 what goes on with the death of James. I don't know. Y'all remember the great musician, Keith Green? When I was getting ready to go to seminary years and years ago, that summer before I left, Keith Green died in an airplane accident. And I tell you what, I, I was listening to Keith Green. I was motivated by him. I was turned on by him. I was excited about the mission field because of Keith Green. I was excited about missionary work with uh, even even in the, the United States with the down and the outers, the, the folks in prison. I was, I was just excited about ministry. And then all of a sudden, this great minister, this great singer dies. And I'm just thinking, why did that have to happen? Why did you take Keith Green at the age of just 28? It seemed like he was just getting going. It seemed like there was a national revival that was starting to get rolling here. And whoosh, he's taken from us. Why? Don't have an answer now. Don't know why. By the way, if we had all the answers, we wouldn't need faith. I mean, you could just reduce everything down to a rationalistic formula. We don't know why. What we do know is, says George Wood, at the end of the day, my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to have a reason for everything. My faith is built not on my knowing why everything is or is not happening. My faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And basically, Jesus' death on Calvary and resurrection from the dead, what it says to us is answering a basic question. Matt, who's the Lord of life and death? Who's on the other side? And on the other side of death is Jesus, our Lord. Everything will be answered on that side, I suspect. George Wood died this week, superintendent of the United States Assemblies of God. And uh, he served well. He was a great preacher, great insights. But I just wanted you to hear that sermon that I read one day because it's so powerful. And I think some of you are living right there, right now. And that is, 
you prayed for God to intervene. It doesn't seem like he has. Let that reality deepen your life, your faith. Let that reality make you holy, even as he is holy today, this week, this year. All right, friends, it's a wrap. Been an honor to have you listening to Life Changing Discipleship with Matt Friedman. Check out our Facebook page, Life Changing Discipleship, and check out our books at Amazon.com. Type in Matt Friedman into the search engine and see what's going to be offered there. And always, always tell others about our podcast. And remember this my wife thanks you, my daughter thanks you, my sons and their wives thank you. And I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life Changing Discipleship today. Love God, live clean, keep the faith. Make disciples, and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon.